From the book of Exodus, Moses said to the Israelites, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Glad to see you here today. If that uh, gospel lesson, which I'm not preaching on this morning, but if that idea of forgiveness kind of put a little bit of a fear in you that maybe I don't forgive as much as I should, I mean, I don't just mean me, but you, uh, fear not, because I'm going to have to teach a class on that in the fall on forgiveness, which of course is something that our Lord continually reminds us we must be willing and able to do. So stand by for the class on forgiveness. But today we're going to continue instead on our series out of Exodus, this idea of Moses and Pharaoh duking it out with the Israelites held in slavery for 470 years. And I was thinking, reading through this text from this morning, about a week and a half ago actually, and a thought popped in my mind, and it's this. You ever had the expression, or heard the expression, two steps forward, one step back? It's an expression that means that even when we think we've overcome all of our obstacles, right? All the challenges in life, finally, yeah, we've made it. And then, find, and then something else comes along. The next big thing comes along. And we've, just when we thought things should be easy, something else comes along and sets us back two, three, maybe even sometimes four steps. And if you're like me, and you are, when that happens to you, you get angry. You get frustrated. You get, you get uh, uh, looking for someone to blame as to why life is not going like this constantly. I don't know why this is, but Americans have this idea of uh, the, uh, the inevitability of, of progress, right? Somebody said that. Pain, maybe. Somebody did. But the idea that Americans have this idea that things are always getting better. But here's the thing I want to dial in on today. Biblically speaking, listen, growth is not linear. Growth is not linear. Two steps forward and one step back is how life works works. We know that experientially, and this is what Scripture says. Life is not linear. It's like this. Kind of like the stock market, maybe, right? I started lifting weights about a year, a year and change ago, lifting it up, lifting again. I used to lift a lot of weights when I was in my early 20s, and man, it was a lot easier back then. 54, it takes a long time to recover, I will say that. Uh, But one thing you learn in life, particularly with exercise or study or whatever it might be, is that growth is not linear. You grow, you retreat. You grow, you come back. You grow, you come back. And the Bible shows us that this is the way that life works. Faith is no different. Growing in faith is not linear. We backslide. We grow, we backslide, we grow. The reason I bring this up today is a word of encouragement to you. Because today we look at the story of the people of Israel, right? The Hebrews, the protagonists. For the past 470 years, they've been slaves. My mom and my mom's mom and my mom's mom and my great-grandy, they're all slaves. If you were Egyptian, you'd say that. It's pretty astounding that they were in slavery longer than the United States of America has even existed by far. After 470 years, they're finally released from slavery. No sooner are they out of the woods, right? They find themselves two steps back. Pinned between the army of Pharaoh and the shores of the Red Sea. So what does this story tell us about life and how we're supposed to live it? 
How does the story of the Hebrews, it seems awfully obscure and remote, how does this actually reflect how we respond to challenges in life and how God shows us to respond? What does the story tell us about ourselves and how we, how you and I should react when our own backs are against the proverbial wall? Three scenes today. Israel complains, Moses encourages, that's a cool one, and God rescues. So three, three stories, three steps in my sermon. I'm too ADD to not have, not have points in my sermon, so forgive me if it doesn't work for you, but Israel complains, Moses encourages, God delivers. So last week, it's pick, we pick up from last week, if you were here, we talked about the story of the Passover. I preached where uh, the, the Hebrews and actually everybody living in Egypt, including Egyptians, were called to put the blood over the doorpost as a mark of who they were. The blood of the Passover lamb, listen, then and now marks the people of God. Talked about that last week. We also saw how God said to the Israelites, I'm going to deliver you, so leave your leaven at home. Don't bother raising your bread. That takes time. When I call you, we got to go. So there's a sense of being marked by the Passover lamb and the urgency of God's call on our lives when he calls us. And then finally, we looked last week at the justice of God, how the angel of death, which God said would happen, passes over the people of God, the, the whole area, and anybody whose door that was not marked with the Passover blood, the, lamb, the Passover lamb, the angel of death would kill the firstborn from king all the way down to the lowest of the, of the social level. And so Pharaoh real, sees this destruction that he'd been warned about, right? And he sees the destruction, and he realizes he's finally met his match. He decides, let's get rid of these Israelites. Just get them out of here. Get off my lawn, Pharaoh says, right? Take your stuff and just go. And they leave. Finally, they've been delivered from slavery. And it seems like finally, after 470 years, imagine, after generations of oppression by the Egyptians, they are finally free. Life is good. You can wear the t-shirt, right? But not for long. This is the key. Pharaoh realizes that his entire slave workforce has left. Slave labor, whether you're making cell phones or building buildings, is a convenient way to get things done. And so, so Pharaoh realizes his, his slaves have gone. He tells his armies to go back there and bring them back and retreat, chase them. He pursues the Israelites, and now they are trapped. Between the charging, the chariots of Pharaoh's army coming behind him, and the Red Sea in front. Reminded me actually of Dunkirk, you know, in, in, in Europe in, uh, at, during World War II when the British expeditionary force was pinned, that's the military word, pinned, between an obstacle on this side and a pursuer. The situation for the Hebrews, like the British Expeditionary Force in World War II, the situation between Pharaoh and the Red Sea is hopeless. They are trapped, and they know it. So what happens next? Well, point one, Israel complains. What do the people of God always do when we are scared? We whine. We complain. We were so close, so close, and now it seems that all hope has been lost. So close, 
So close. And now here we are, caught between Pharaoh and the Red Sea, pinned against the shores of Dunkirk. And so what did the Hebrews do? Same thing you and I do. Complain. Here's what they say. Verse, here's complaint number one. Verse 11. He, to Moses and God, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Translation, are you so stupid you couldn't have seen this coming? Moses, what kind of a leader are you? You led us out of the, from the frying pan into the proverbial fire. What's wrong with this guy? We need a new, we need a new CEO. And then secondly, the second complaint is the next verse, verse 12. This is even better. So they blame, they blame someone else, Moses and God, like we do. Right? And then the second thing they do is this, in verse 12, in the very next verse, the second complaint. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. And let me just stop there a minute. They're saying, don't you remember, Moses, when we were back in slavery? We never wanted to leave. Why would you lead us out of here? Isn't it true? Isn't it true, though, in our own lives, in our own hearts, that when, the, when it hits the fan, right, what do we do? We blame others and we romanticize the past. We, romant, we blame others and we romanticize the past. I remember when Ronald Reagan was president. I remember when John F. Kennedy was president. Whatever. I mean, there's lots of examples, right? Whenever we have something in our lives which goes wrong, when we are pinned between Pharaoh and the and the Red Sea, between the Nazis and Dunkirk, when we're stuck and we have no way out, we blame others and we romanticize the good old days. But friends, the problem is the good old days weren't really all that good. It's easy, and I want you to see your own heart in this, because you'll see the solution in a moment. It's so easy to fall into this trap. It's so easy to fall into this trap. But here's the reason we do. We make an enormous mistake when it comes to God. We think of God like our golfing buddy, or a colleague at work, or a friend of ours, who is maybe sometimes prone to giving us bad advice, right? We sometimes say, God, what are you thinking? Don't you know, as, aren't you as smart as me? Why can't you do what I do? And then we also yearn for the good old days. You know, one of the Proverbs, I've never preached on this, but I will someday, Proverbs 26.11 says, and it's graphic, and it's disgusting, and it's meant to be, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Let me think about that. Why does a dog vomit? Because whatever it ate made it sick. Well, then why does it go back to it and, you know, consume it again? Duh, right? But we all do it. We all look back at our past, even though it was toxic and unhealthy. We know it, but we romanticize it. And we forget something, and something critically important, that God is God. <laughs> He's not like us. He's omnipotent. He knows everything. He's omniscient. I'm sorry, he's omnipotent. He can do anything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He is the creator of the universe, the uncaused cause, Thomas Aquinas would call him. He even knows, Jesus says, the number of hairs on your head. He's not, God is not just some forgetful couch potato, right, who forgets to put, take his phone off of do not disturb and misses your call. He's not an amateur that sometimes make a, makes a bad decision. He's God which means that we need to be reminded that his plan is better than ours. To see the situation, not from our own perspective of whining and romanticizing the past, but to see it from his perspective. So let me ask you a question. Where is Pharaoh bearing down on you right now? 
Everyone's got something, man. Everyone's got something you fear, something chasing you that you cannot see the way out. You're pinned. There's no solution. Chariots in the rear and the Red Sea to the front. Where is Pharaoh for you right now? And if you're not really sure, well, I don't know. Well, I'll show you. How do you know? I'll tell you how you know. What do you complain about? What do you complain to your friends or your, or your spouse or your girlfriend or your kids about? What do you complain about? What do you watch on the news and go, oh, I can't believe this is happening again? That's your Pharaoh. It's the thing that you fear that you can't see how to solve it. We complain about the things which we cannot solve. And it's fascinating to me. Again, I want you to see yourself in the story because we're there. These are not just historical. This is, all peop- this is human psychology. The newly freed Hebrews who've just seen the ten plagues, Moses, part- Moses gets them out of Egypt. Their, their attention span is really, really short. <laughs> they forget so quickly that God had saved them. And they whine, and they complain, and they blame Moses. And the one thing I want you to see before I move on, and by the way, we call that complaining, we call that prayer. (laughs) Uh, They complain to God, and God lets them. I find that fascinating. Any other other erstwhile God you see in human development or human history would just, you know, boop, whack them, right? I'll teach you to complain, you stupid Hebrews, and boom. No, the God of the Bible actually listens to our complaint. Read the Psalms. They are full of the psalmist saying, why me, God? What have you done? God hears their complaint. God hears their prayers, which is what these complaints are. And he answers with the encouragement of Moses, point number two. The people complain, we complain. And God sends an encourager. You know, Moses' response to their complaint he doesn't, it's really actually pretty brilliant in terms of conflict resolution. Verse 13, they complain, complain, and he says this. He doesn't, doesn't even address their complaint. He says this. Fear not, three points. Fear not, stand firm, and watch. St- fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Fear not, stand firm, and see You know, Moses is the consummate encourager. What does that mean? An encourager is someone who gives courage, right? Someone who makes us courageous. And what is courage? Courage is not a lack of fear. On the contrary, courage is when you fear something, you do it anyway. It's a famous quote somewhere. I forgot to look it up. But fear is, or courage is fear that moves. Moses encourages them, even though they're afraid to move. Fear not, he says. Stand firm and see. I had a friend of mine who was an encourager for me. Anybody have an encourager in their own lives? It's a super valuable person to have. A person who sees the situation, listens to your complaining, and says essentially what Moses said, fear not, be patient, and watch. Anyway, my encourager is a guy named Bishop Ed Salmon. You may know him if you're from South Carolina. Ed Salmon, may he rest in peace, was the bishop of South Carolina. And uh, I once called him when I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, where I was before I came here. I was a brand new rector. I was like 35, 36 years old. And something happened in the life of the parish. I can't remember what it was, but it was something to do with some troublesome parishioner. I'm sure. I don't remember. Kathy would remember. I don't remember what the problem was. Uh, but she'd remember because I'd complain to her about it. So anyway, um, but I called him one time, and I said, Bishop, I have a problem. I want to talk to you. He says, yes, Father, go right ahead. That's how we talked. 
And he said, uh, I laid out all the facts. Man, I just let him have it. I complained. I blamed. I, I just whined about it like the Israelites did, like you do too when something's bothering you. And he listened to me. Yes, I hear you, Father. I understand. I, that must be very difficult. I do understand, he said to me. And I got done, and I'm finally, you know, got that off my chest. He thought about, thought about for a moment, and he gave me some of the best advice I've ever heard in my entire life. If you hear one thing today, hear this. He said, Father, God is a God of clarity. I said, Bishop, I don't know what to do. I was pinned between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. What do I do? What do I do? He said, Father, God is a God of clarity. And when you need to know what to do, he'll tell you. That was amazingly good advice. And it sounds something like this. Fear not, stand firm, and watch. So what do you fear? What is a pharaoh bearing down on you right now? And you don't know what to do. You're stuck. You're pinned. Well, friends, let me just say this to you. And again, write this one on your refrigerator magnet. God is a God of clarity. And when you need to know, you'll know. He'll tell you. And the reason that's important is it allows us to rest in that. Because I think most, well, for everybody, our anxiety and our fear comes from trying to solve a problem that we can't solve. I know in my own heart, when I'm really worried about something, it's because I don't see the solution. But God is a God of clarity. And you'll know when you need to know. So be patient. Fear not. Stand firm. And watch. And then finally, we see God acting. So Moses encourages. He says, guys, calm down. Stop fear. Pay attention. Stand firm. Just stop trying to solve the problem on your own and watch this. And what happens next? God tells Moses, the, the Israelites come to the Red Sea. Chariots are bearing down on them. They are pinned. And God says, Moses, stretch out your arms over the sea. He doesn't tell him why which is pretty interesting. Moses does it. I guess Moses believed in God more than they did, but that's another matter. Moses raises his hands over the sea, and the sea is parted, and the Hebrews rush headlong into this parted water. And one thing you remember about, about Jews and Israelites is that water, particularly deep, chaotic, dark water, is a symbol of fear. It's the boogeyman in the Jewish mind. And so when, God, when Moses parts this water, he's freeing an escape route for them, not just from the Egyptians, but from demonic influence. And the, the, the waters are parted. The Israelites travel through. They're trucking, and Pharaoh's chariots are right behind. It says that God caused those chariot wheels to be stuck in the mud. And then once the last Hebrew is across, the last Jewish feet hit the other shore of the Red Sea, God says, Moses, stretch out your arms again. And again he does it, again, not knowing what's going to happen. And the waters are brought back together, and Pharaoh's army is wiped out. And for now, the Hebrews are safe and happy and secure. Once again, for now. <laughs> but notice something I think is so cool. What, is, what does he say? Fear not, stand firm and watch. And they saw, didn't they? They saw the power of God that they knew God could do. And they saw it once again and it reminded them again of his power and concern for them. And now they are safe and happy 
for now. Because guess what? It's two steps forward, one step back. And it's come. The next thing's coming. We'll see this next week. Because growth is not linear, friends. But I want to notice something here as we wrap up, something critically important. Even in the midst of confusion and fear, which quite frankly is just our own trying to control a situation that we can't control, even in the midst of all of this, even in the uncertainty of life, notice that Yahweh was always in control. Moses' words of encouragement to his people are a reminder to them and to us 5,000 years later that when we fear, that when we're worried, when we're stuck, when we're pinned, fear not, stand firm, and wait. God's got this. God's got you. I'm going to leave you with verse 14 today, which goes like this. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Moses, the encourager, who reminded the Hebrews to fear not, to stand firm, and to watch. Father, hear our complaint, hear our prayer, hear our cries to you when we don't, don't know what to do. Remind us that you are the God who has, was a God of clarity, and you will tell us when we need to know what we need to know. Help us to watch, help us to see your hand In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.